Welcome to the first short game shorty, short mini episode, mini shorty game show, short thing. Welcome to The Short Game. This is the show where we talk about fitting games into your life. Playing short games, the kind of games that you can finish in an evening or a weekend. Um, the kind of games we like to play. And I'm your host, Reagan. And this is me, Shane, the uh, brother of the host. And also host. So, uh, Reagan, I've decided that we should call these the uh, short game studies. So this is the first of our, uh, what we're trying to name our mini-episodes that we're going to be slipping into our podcast in our main episodes to a uh, bi-weekly format. And uh, we've been going back and forth about what to call them. Uh, initially, I was just calling them our mini-episodes, uh, but that didn't seem quite, quite right. Uh, and so I was proposing that we call these uh, short game shorties. And I think that sounds crazy. This would be shorty number one, and uh, and we'll be going from there. And uh, I pay the hosting fees, so I get to make that decision. I guess so. We're calling them shorties. <laughs> um, that is still up in the air. So if you have suggestions on what to call our mini episodes, uh, please let us know by Twitter or whatever other means you like. And apparently mini episodes is right out, <laughs> even though it sounds fine. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I, I suppose we can go with mini episodes until we settle on something better. I like shorties. Short game shorts. I, it just makes me think of like boxer shorts. What about um, the short game shortcast? Oh, God. This is a pet peeve of mine. I hate podcasts that call themselves something, something cast. Like, this is a show about, I don't know, golf. And uh, we're calling it the Golf Show Golf Cast with your golf hosts. Golfton and Golfingston. Like, I just hate that. Ugh, I don't know. I just hate it. So no, we're not we're not calling it the shortcast. That's there's All a reason right. I didn't name this podcast the shortcast. So that's not happening. Alright, fine. Well, to be dis- to be announced. To be decided. Today we're here uh in a episode that's going to respect your time as much as the games that we love. To talk about an article that came out uh just a couple of days ago. Uh, by Mr. Ben Cochera over at Polygon, uh, who is one of my favorite internet dudes. He's a he's a really uh, good writer about video games. If you aren't already following the stuff they do over at Polygon, they're you know they're a pretty darn good video games website, and uh, he's become pretty prominent in video game journalism and writing over the last couple of years, I suppose. He's written this article uh, that. Uh, you brought to my attention, Reagan, that the title is To Hell With Longer Games. Tell me how short your game is. I love that title, To Hell With Longer Games. It, it kind of branches off of the fact that Polygon recently published a review of The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, which is a game that uh, somehow had completely flown under my radar and is now, you know, 
pretty much at the top of my list for future episodes. So if you saw that article and thought, wow, I'd really like to hear the short game talk about this game, we're on it. It's on our list. Yeah, the the article basically gives Ben's position on game length and how he picks what games he wants to play. And uh, it, it lines up a lot with the reason that we started this show. He was initially planning on skipping The Vanishing of Ethan Carter because it wasn't a game that seemed completely up his alley. He said it thought it looked pretty good, but it didn't really grab him. Um, and then at the end of the article, he saw that it's only about three to four hours. And then he thought, oh, well, of course I'm going to play it. And that's the response that I found myself having all the time about games. So when I read in a review, oh, it's three hours, it's four hours, I'm on it because I want to be able to experience that even if maybe it's not something that I think I would normally love for a 60-hour game or even for an eight-hour game. You know, if it's three, four hours, I can waste that. And if it's bad, then I haven't lost that much time. And if it's good, well, then I've got a really cool experience. In the article, he says... I'm in the odd position of being more time than cash constrained. I really don't think that's such an odd situation. I think most people that have a, you know, they're trying to hold down a job and, you know, experience life in its fullest, um, have a lot of different things that are putting pressure on their time. And they have maybe just the, the right amount of time to play a game of this length. So I don't think it's it's unusual at all. He calls out Telltale Games uh, as a, a big draw for him. Telltale Games being things like, um, you know, the new Walking Dead game, which hopefully we're going to be doing an episode on very soon. Not so new, really. They've been coming out uh, episodically for a couple of years now. I think the first episode mm. came out in like 2012 yeah. or something. Yes, but time flies. Yeah. Uh, but that kind of episodic feel uh, something you can probably finish in one play session is exactly what we're all about for this show and i'm glad to see that um, some people in the mainstream gaming press are also uh, of the same mind i think that's really the big shift that's kind of happened in games and some game publishers and game gamers really haven't kind of caught up to and that's that as the sort of mass of people who play games has aged and you know the average gamer is in their like late 20s now right like uh, i don't know what the actual numbers are but i seem to recall that up there um, yeah yeah uh, probably older than that they're living a completely different life than they were you know if you were to survey gamers uh 10 years ago you know what i can't wait for i can't wait for the uh, empty nester wave of gamers <laughs> You know, where like everything changes and, and you have all the time that you had when you were a teenager to play like weird JRPGs. <laughs> Finally, all the gamers kids have left their uh, left the house. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a very strange cultural shift. But right now we're in a we're in an era where most gamers have jobs. Isn't that crazy? Most gamers are not waiting for mom to buy them a game and hope that it's going to be something that will hold them through from their birthday till Christmas. No, most gamers today have an enormous amount of choice of what games they play and how they spend their time. And they have hardly enough time to play the games. Oh, that yeah, they definitely. Want to play. The, the thing that really jumped out at me in this article was he kind of gave some statistics about people finishing games and i guess with steam and all that it's it's something you can go and just look up and see like yeah. you know how many people got xyz achievement so he says you know in the article you'd be surprised how many people buy games with moderate length and never finish them 
On PC, over 50% of the people who bought the last Wolfenstein game, a game you can beat in under 15 hours, never earned the achievement for finishing the story. And I'm guilty there because I'm dying to play that game, but I haven't gotten a chance to finish it yet. <laughs> Only 31% of Dishonored players on the PC beat the game. 31%. How long did it take you to beat Dishonored? I don't remember, but it certainly wasn't that long of a game. Yeah, I think it was like a week mm -hmm. for me. It's an epidemic. I mean, that puts it really strongly when we've got epidemics in the news, and I feel bad for saying so, but... It's literally the Ebola of video gaming. <laughs> long games are literally the Ebola of video games. It's a real problem, for me personally, anyway. And I know that seeing a game like Ethan Carter get a review that says, this is a game worth your time, and it's going to take up just a small amount of it, that's an enormous endorsement, as far as I'm concerned. So I have, I have a few things I want to talk about that this article really gave me kind of questions about. One of them is, it brings up not only the kind of shorter, more focused nature of the game, but also the price and the budget. And... That's something that really also I think we want to discuss. So he says kind of his sweet spot is uh, 20 bucks or under for four hours or less. I think that sounds fantastic. If I had more, if, if there were enough games in that exact niche for us to do one every week, then I think that this show would have enough to talk about for the rest of time. But actually... That's a pretty rare formula. You know, 20 it's bucks or under rare. and four hours or less is extraordinarily rare in games. Um, most games, I think, are in excess of 10 hours. And I would, when we were sort of trying to decide on what our target would be for what is a short game, it was really hard for us to come up with that because I wanted it to be things like Gone Home, where I spent two hours playing that game and was thrilled with it and spent almost, I think I spent exactly 20 bucks on that game. Um, that is a perfect example of a great experience that exactly fits that. And if there were enough games for us to have a whole show about just those, that's what I would do. But it's actually really hard to find games that perfectly fit that. That's why we've covered a lot of games like FTL or some of the roguelike stuff that we've covered or other things where they're short in a way, but they're not as short as that. Um, they're not quite perfectly in that in that vein. Yeah, games that respect your time, but also might take up a lot of that time. Yeah. As we're kind of building our plans for the next several episodes of, of this show, uh, looking at this article and also the other one that you sent to me, Shane, by yeah. um, Adrian, I'm sorry, what is his last name? Chim I can't pronounce this. <laughs> yeah, that, my best shot at this is Adrian... Adrian Schmelars. So uh, he's one of the developers of the uh, of the game that Ben Kuchera was directly talking about in this case. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the, his article here, uh, "The Short Games Revolution," is what spurred the uh, the article by uh, by uh, Mr. Kuchera. Basically, uh, the quote at the beginning of this article I found kind of compelling. He said, "the The puzzling advice I'm getting when I talk about our game is." Tell people what you want. Tell them your game is ambitious, risky, uncensored, whatever. Just don't mention that it's short. But why? Uh, it's not like we're asking full price for it. It doesn't matter. Don't draw attention to the fact that it's not 30 hours. And I absolutely love the fact that this guy is just turning around and saying, no, our game is short, and here's why short games are great. And he has several, he has several reasons. Which just makes me really want to talk to this guy. Like, 
I am uh, I'm doing what I can to see if we can get this guy on our show because he seems like a really uh, he's really clued into what the idea of short games are all about. So, so he says that kind of game creators are fighting against kind of this idea of value for money. So like a game has to prevent pre- present you with a lot of value for money. And I think there is some some idea that some the idea of having a lot of value for your money in a game is not a bad idea. Like if I were a kid and I got one video game every Christmas, I would want that to be a game that I could play all year. But that's rooted in something like, you know, the the type of games that were popular when we were kids. You know, if I'm playing a lot of NES games right now, and the game that I'm mm-hmm. playing the most on my NES or actually on my uh, well, we won't go into it. <laughs> the Retron thing. I Sorry. Um, long story short, I'm playing a ton of this game called City Connection. City Connection is a pure go-for-score game. You play it over and over and over again. There are little secrets to discover, but for the most part, you're playing a series of very similar le- levels over and over again going for a high score. And I probably played it 40 times in the last... Is it like arcade style? Yeah, it's kind of an arcade style game where you, uh, it's a it's a platformer, but actually you're driving a little car, so your little car cannot stop. You can only um, reverse directions or jump, and the idea is you have to like roll over a bunch, you know, all of the all of the platforms in the level and avoid hitting cats and avoid hitting police cars. So long story short, it's a fast paced little platformer in which you have to do a lot of jumping and and tight turns, and uh, it's a blast. And it's an endless game. And it's the kind of game that if I were a kid with nothing better to do, there is no end to the city connection. You will go until you die, and your high score is your goal. Well, there's another kind of side to that 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 he calls out, which is games that have you, that kind of fill out their their time uh, by putting up roadblocks for you in in terms of things like uh, grinding. You know, like if you got uh, basically throwing up obstacles in front of you, things that are just there to extend the playtime. And that, I think, is the thing that I hate the most. Yeah. Like, I, if, I were, if I were a kid, and I, I, well, we keep talking about kids, but there's plenty of adult gamers. Mostly adults. Particularly with the types of games that we're playing today, you know, where nobody made um, uh, Hotline Miami for you know, 12 year olds, it's for adults. I I totally know what you mean. Uh, The biggest example for me of that lately has been that I was really thrilled with the game Tesla grad. I played, that was a game that I was sure we were going to want to feature on this show uh, because I, I uh, bought it. I played the hell out of it for a weekend and I got all the way to the end of the game and I was totally enjoying it. It's, it's a great puzzle platformer, really cool physics-based puzzles. It kind of has some things about it that remind me a lot of, of Portal in that it's got these sort of polarity mechanics and um, just a really super well-done puzzle platformer. Then you get to the end of the game, you reach what, you know, the sort of gateway before the final boss, and you find out that essentially I hadn't collected enough of these weird little collectible scrolls. 
And if I wanted to face the final boss, I would have had to go through the entire game again from beginning to end looking for these collectibles and trying to complete my my collection of these things uh, so that I would be able to face that final boss. And I was like, this game was totally on the money. I was at the final boss. I was right at four hours or so. I had been having fun the entire time. And that roadblock of, nope, go back to the beginning of the game and play through it again trying to collect those little thingamabobs um, was just, I rage quit. I did not complete that game. And it was because I didn't want to waste my time. I had done these things already. I didn't want to waste my time doing any of them again. I wanted to face that final boss, but it wasn't worth the time. And I think a lot of games will do something like that or even more subtle things, little side quests that are mandatory to progress that that just are there to to throw extra time into a game without costing a whole lot in extra development resources. Mm. Now, development resources, I think that ties back to the thing that I don't like about really long games is that, as called out in this article uh, by Mr. Shamel Azars, uh, God, I hope I'm pronouncing uh, that right. I think it's... Shimilars. 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 Sorry, sir. Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Mr. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Mr. C. He's, he's basically saying, like, companies that are going to make these big multi-million dollar game productions are pretty risk-averse, right? They don't want to sink a lot of money into something that's not a sure thing. And if you're making a 30-hour game that's going to sell for 60 bucks, if you're making a 30... 40, you know, some of these 60 hour games that people seem to say like, oh, I really, uh, you know, I, I miss the days when games took, you know, this long to complete. People miss these, say they miss these 60 hour games that uh, almost don't get made anymore. But it's just because the development resources to create even a 30 hour game on a modern scale is incredible. And the incredible amount of money that it costs to make that game um, that you're then going to turn around and sell for 60 bucks a piece. Um, nobody wants to invest that on something that is kind of artistically risky. If got there, gone home could have been 30 hours long and you could have explored 15 houses as 15 different teenagers, but no one, w- no one would have funded the development of that game. And so by setting the bar a little bit lower, the developer is able to say like, we are, creating a game that is not a guaranteed blockbuster hit. We are creating a game that is going to not be a weird copycat of every other first-person shooter. We're creating a game that's going to try and push video games forward. And uh, you can't do that on a high budget. So shorter, cheaper games have a much greater ability to kind of take risks with their development. And... That mean, and the the point of of this article is to say that those kinds of games are where the evolution of gaming as an art form is happening, and that's the most exciting thing about this to me. And that's why I think this show's really been fun to work on. Is that we're not just talking about games that are short because they're easy to fit into your schedule. This is the bleeding edge of games. This is the place where people are trying new things. These short inexpensive digitally distributed games are the forefront of gaming innovation and and gameplay innovation 
I'm just really glad to see people like Ben Kuchera at Polygon um, looking at this type of game as a really exciting area because I think so often it kind of gets overlooked by the gaming press. So um, thanks very much to Ben for this really excellent article. And I cannot wait to play uh, The Vanishing of Ethan Carter that he was discussing. And this is uh, this is shot to the top of our list. Sure. I have just one more thing. It was in this article that I really thought was a great comparison. Mm-hmm. This kind of goes back to the value for money idea. So he talks about yeah, I pay a lot for my game, but I get hours and hours of entertainment. Lots of value for my money. Uh, you know, and there's lots of things that do that. You know, if, if you want a whole hell of a lot of value for money, you might go and buy the latest fantasy novel where you're going to get, you know, a $5 fantasy paperback uh, that might take you weeks to read. You know, those things are getting bigger and bigger all the time. <laughs> Tell me about it. Uh, but, you know, the comparison that I really liked here was kind of the comparison to movies, like the length of the average movie is getting longer and longer and longer, you know, and in the 1910s, apparently the uh, average length of a movie was like 75 minutes Uh, in the like 60 in the, you know, fifties, it was a hundred minutes. These days it's coming up on over two hours, but think about, when you went and shopped for a movie uh, around the time like DVDs came out, like VHS to DVDs, people how people got sold on on DVDs and Blu-rays now on a particular feature. I, I was really excited about commentary tracks, about making of features, uh, about stuff like that. DVD extras, yeah, yeah, DVD extras, and you know it takes tons of work to create that content. So these, these long games that people apparently just aren't finishing, it's like those DVD extras that nobody watches. Like, do you go out and buy a movie and be like, oh man, you know, I really want this special edition because unless it's a movie you absolutely love and you really want to know more about the artistic process. But if you're like picking up a movie to watch, you know, and you see, oh, this has, you know, five hours of bonus content, you know, is that really going to sell you on a movie? No. So why should it sell you on a game? I think of it a little bit differently than that, because I I think that the comparison to DVD extras is sort of apt, but you can pop in that DVD with the tons of extras in it and watch just the movie and ignore the extras. But many games, you can't do that. You can't see the end of the game without playing through all of the extra content that probably we could have done without or something like that. Um, But I think that this kind of comes from the culture of of game uh, writing that treats games not as artistic products, but as more like a software product. A lot of game reviews aren't talking about this is why this game is interesting artistically and talking about it in terms of the experience, you know, the feels of it, if you will. You know, a lot of game reviews focus extensively on how many side quests the rpg has or you know how uh they talk extensively about things like graphics about things like the technical achievements of the game all of which are important i want to know if a game has achieved something really interesting technically but i also want to know is this a complete experience that i as a person will actually finish you know in my schedule where does this game meet me in terms of time 
Um, and most reviews don't mention how long a game is at all. Or if they do, they talk only about this game has over 60 hours of blankety blank. So I think actually it comes partly from, you know, treating these games as a collection of parts that add up to X amount of value rather than as you know, a no movie review as ever. I walked out of this movie wanting more. And because of that, it was crap. You know, that's oh, absolutely true. That's that's not how movie reviews work. And it's not how I think of games either. So this was our first mini episode, our first short game shorty, if you will, our um, short episode, our boxer short. I don't know what we're calling it yet, but this is the first one, and you'll be finding this in your feed in between our episode on Little Inferno, uh, which you will have heard last week, probably, when you're uh, when you're listening to this, and next week's episode, which should be on Telltale's Walking Dead series. We're really looking forward to talking about that. Uh, the Walking Dead series gets brought up in conversations about short games all the time. Ben Kuchera mentioned it. The, uh, the developer from... Uh, Vanishing of Ethan Carter mentioned it specifically in his article, and uh, it's a game that I've really, really enjoyed playing. And because of its format being a episodic series of short experiences, I think it's perfect for people who are looking for this kind of thing. Uh, Telltale has really kind of nailed the episodic gameplay thing where I don't think any other developer has. So we'll be diving in deep and talking about specifically episode one of the first season of Telltale's Walking Dead. We'll be talking about that in great detail and talking about the series as a whole as well. So uh, if you are uh, new to the Walking Dead series of games, not the television show or excellent comics, uh, then definitely check that out. Uh, Hopefully uh, you can play the first episode and join us for a deep discussion of it in our next episode. And until then, uh, this is Shane Kelly uh, at 8BitShane. Yep, and I'm at Reagan K. I spell that R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. And of course, you can follow our show on Twitter. We are at underscore short game. So long. This has been another episode of The Short Game. Or a mini episode. A shorty. A short thing. All right, it's growing on me. It's the short. The short thing. Short episode. Short <laughs> Short Short episode. Short shrift. Actually, I kind of like short episode. <laughs> I don't know. Short episode? I don't yeah. know if I like short episode. <laughs>